My name is Sam Jenks, and welcome to another episode of The Way We Source, a podcast hosted by Kodiak Hub, where we share our talks with procurement practitioners, leaders, experts, consultants, content gurus, and people that we find downright inspiring, diving into the role that sourcing and procurement plays in the way we live. If you like today's episode, make sure to rate the program and give us a follow. Today, we have the pleasure of hosting an experienced aerospace procurement practitioner, bringing with him experience from businesses such as Boeing, Leonardo, Vertical Aerospace, Heart Aerospace, and now supply chain manager at Elbit Systems UK, Mr. Alex Evans. Alex, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Happy to have you on. I want to start with a question that we ask a lot of our guests. What made you decide to work in a procurement? Uh, did the role choose you or did you choose the role? Uh, <clears throat> so the role actually chose me. Um, my, I came out of university with a degree in archaeology, so something completely unrelated to procurement, supply chain, any kind of business um, possible background you could even think of. Um, I was actually working in a local government, uh, what we call a council in the UK, uh, doing IT um, procurement. Uh, the job was offered to me. Um, I took it up. Um, and then I have been in and around procurement and sourcing um, ever since uh, ever since that moment. Understood. What is it that makes you stick around in the space? What does this What does this space mean to you? Um, my, my interests are mainly around technology, um, aerospace. I've been I've been lucky enough to be involved in a, a variety of companies, as you mentioned in the introduction, where I've been exposed to that. Uh, mainly around procurement, supply chain, um, supplier relationship management, program management. It's that interest in technology and how that's adapting over time. And uh, my time at Vertical and, and Hart can attest to that. That's what's keeping me interested in uh, in the procurement supply chain world. And it's a it's a rapidly expanding and developing space as well. You know, no longer in the basement, now on the agenda for all CEOs, right? That's the beautiful yeah. No thing more about. in the no more in the back office uh, where you don't get the exposure. It's very it's very much to the fore, very much involved in a lot of what is going on at um, a lot of the companies today. I know that you have most of your experience in the defense and aerospace industry, but how would you consider? that vertical different maybe than other verticals when it comes to procurement and sourcing? Um, I think there's probably a lot more similarities than you you would think. Everyone follows the same kind of processes, be it a a larger company such as Boeing, uh, smaller companies such as uh, as Vertical. We will have the same processes. We'll have the same requirements. Um, We may work in different sectors, but... um, Generally, it's the same. You, you work into more specifications, quite control specifications in aerospace and defense. Right. So the, there's a lot more steps probably involved with some of the contracting routes that you have to go down compared to a non-aerospace or defense. A lot more program reviews, that kind of thing. So there's it's a lot of similarities, but a lot of differences at the same time. Now, you've had the unique opportunity as a practitioner, right, working in multinational enterprises such as Boeing and Leonardo, and then shift gears. You're at fast-growing startups uh, such as Vertical and Heart Aerospace. What's the greatest difference that you've seen working in those contexts between multinational and startup? I think walking into a a company like Boeing or Leonardo from day one, you have – 
you have a suite of uh, tools available to you. You have a entire, in Bowen's case, nearly a hundred years worth of expertise and experience. Um, you have defined supplier relationships. The, all those relationships are already in place. Um, you're walking into something where you're ready, prepared to go in and be able to do your job. It's very policy driven, uh, strictly controlled. Uh, whereas I w- walk into vertical on the first day, you walk into an office that's full of engineers. Um, you have one procurement admin officer who's doing all the procurement. Um, you quickly find you become a master of everything because how fast the company's growing. One minute you mm. could be dealing with facilities, the next few minute we're dealing with drones. And all of a sudden you have a, a large piece of software that you need to procure. You kind of need to get stuck in, go around, meet all the teams, understand their requirements. It's a very fast moving um way of working compared to a multinational where things are very kind of it's very driven there's lots of steps that are already in place you follow them right. day by day so that i think that is the biggest difference and it, it was actually quite it's quite a shock just about how much you have to get into the details and the nitty-gritty of some of this stuff at a startup um you can't just sit in one area you've got to roll your sleeves up and get stuck in for sure. And I think that that's the beauty of a startup, right? You get that opportunity to be the generalist, as you say in Swedish, the man mm-hmm. in the box doesn't really translate <laughs> to, to English. Regardless, when you look at your time that you've had at a startup, there's a saying by Mark Zuckerberg, right? Move fast and break things. In a procurement context, of course, you don't want to move fast and break things, right? You need to make sure that you're buying things up to spec and the like. Do you think that it's hard for procurement in a startup context to get things right? Um, I think startup has to, there is some degree of flexibility. Um, yeah. The more a the more kind of firmer and larger the company becomes, more control gets in it, mm. and there's a, there's a balance that you have to find. So you want to be creating these um, these parts that need to be broken and tested. There has to be a procurement route to enable that rather than following a very traditional requisition purchase order where you have to go through certain approval levels to get for there because you have a two or three days where you could have ordered that part it could have been delivered you could have done it and you could be on to the next iteration so there's a, there's a, a line of finding a, a route to do fast and flexible work mm. and the route to do a more traditional procurement contractual route so it's finding those levels and working in a in a startup you have do have some kind of competing interests in that it's just finding that level of of balance where you have something that can be done and it's really easy you're trusting the people outside of procurement potentially to go and order that because they know what they want they they can go off and do it whereas there's the procurement control route where you have you still have all your projects you have your specification requirements and you go out right. and do it a very traditional way do you think that multinationals have something to learn from startups when it comes to the flexibility, the the ability to move fast, the ability to put I earnest think, on the stakeholders, I think they they, they probably could. I think um, a lot of these a lot of these big companies they have very set ways of doing it. It can take prolonged periods of time. I think one of the things we had at some one of the startups I was at was we were challenging one of the big aerostructures companies to say, mm. create a smaller team that sits outside your company has the ability to move fast and do things that you wouldn't essentially be able to do if we were to just contract with one of your larger divisions. Um, have a separate team, come and sit with us. We'll, we can work fast, 
it's just something that they weren't used to doing and it's just something that they couldn't really comprehend to be able to allow them to move out of their processes and policies they had in place to do a lot of this stuff. So hmm. there is some kind of pushback, I think. I think they would benefit from a lot of this thing and trusting staff to know what they need to do and trusting their staff to be able to spend the company money to get this stuff done. Yeah. Well, trust is so important, right? When when you're in that startup context, you know, trust is built on on expertise, but it's it doesn't always have the social proof that's necessary. I think that that the, those two things kind of you know um, sometimes it can be conflicting conflicting uh, uh, and 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 the issue for a startup. And I mean, you know, we experience it as a startup scale up as we are ourselves, right? Every every startup or scale up experiences that at some point. Yeah. The other thing that you experience though that is very fun, of course, which <clears throat> you've had in your roles at at heart and and maybe as as well at, at vertical aerospace is that you have a lot of greenfield to make impact, right? You make a lot of decisions about, you know, new processes, systems, ways of working. Where does one start when you have the ability to make so much impact, right? It is a luckily coming from some of the larger companies from Boeing, I've seen the quality systems um, mm. that you you need to build into these aerospace smaller startups. Yes, they, you're going through a, a certain amount of, of growth and they're doing a lot of experimentation with kind of these new technologies that have to be kind of this, it's more testing and breaking this and starting again. Right. But at some point, you need to be able to have certain processes in place that allow you to reach those quality standards that you need to satisfy the authority's request to actually fly a demonstration aircraft. Right. Um, so it's going in, understanding what's needed first. Is it just a procurement process? It's written down that meets a certain level. That's fine. And then you kind of expand outwards from, from that. Is there a sourcing process that needs to be done? Is there a supplier approval process? And all of a sudden, you start to have these kind of sets of documentation that, that weren't there anymore and start to govern the way, the way that you work. Uh, and eventually, and it could be said the same for both vertical and heart, that that was what was going to be needed um, mm. to start off with to enable some flexibility. And they were very kind of loose documentation to start off with. Um, but as the company grew and you have more requirements and they become a bit more specified and more totally controlled, then you start to put a bit more flesh around those processes to say what things certain people can do. When do you need supplier engagement? Who speaks to suppliers? Because you mm. have cost and schedule and there's a lot of these different things. So you start to kind of grow, uh, but it, it's very, very challenging because you kind of walk into an area that's essentially nothing and you kind right. of sit there and scratch your head for a while and think, what's the first thing that I need to do? Well, let's go out and speak to the teams. What do they need? What are they procuring? And then we start to kind of think, well, if it's a lot of hardware, let's design something around that hardware. And that's such an important point, right, is <clears> – <throat> making sense and translating, uh, as a guest of ours once, once said on this show, I think that it's very often that we as practitioners or operators, right, wherever that might be for myself in the revenue space, for you in the procurement space, we come in with our thought processes or our prior playbooks. Like this is what works. I know that this is what works and let's lay this out, right? Whether it be a supplier approval process, mm -hmm. a quality system, so forth and so on. I would love to shift gears a little bit to that idea of a playbook because in B2B SaaS, we talk about playbooks a lot. And in my revenue team, you know, the sales playbook, for example, 
has become the backbone to our mode of operating. It's like our hymn sheet, right? To make sure that we're all singing the same song in harmony. Do you believe that procurement should have playbooks? And if so, who should be responsible for developing that playbook? I think, and to be honest, the only ever playbook that I've ever come across is a is the UK government um, uh, playbook they have for procurement. Mm. Um, in my mind, if you would have a playbook around procurement and sourcing, it would be a, a whole company, one encompassing finance, commercial, project delivery, project management, um, because you find that all of these separate areas touch on procurement are involved in sourcing or involved in some kind of project where they suppliers are selected. So instead of having just a procurement one, it will be a wider kind of almost project delivery playbook. Um, and that would cover from when's the right time to engage with procurement and supply chain. When does the procurement for process fit? Uh, and for what kind of projects would it be? Supplier evaluation, how to attribute risk to a project, um, so, uh, bid evaluation, um, supplier relationship, engagement, and all of those kind of things where all these different people will be involved. Mm. That is my idea for what a playbook would look like rather than just having a purely procurement one because it it does reach out and touch a lot more people than just a procurement or a supply chain team. Understood. And then you hit on some of the contents of, of what that could be able to look like. I think that it's important that you know, the playbook obviously has cross-functional value, as you just named. And I think that one of the things that's that's most important, of course, is that procurement makes sure to involve stakeholders early in the process and continues to be able to do so, and vice versa, right? Yes. Do you feel as if procurement has won the trust of the stakeholder? <laughs> it, I think it can, vary, it can vary from where you are and what company. Um, where the places I've been, procurement, there has to be that kind of groundwork from the bottom up, especially as a startup where everyone is rushing off and doing their own thing. There's no centralized, kind of potentially a centralized view of what's happening. Mm. So you kind of have to go out there, you have to take on board what they're saying, what their requirements are, go out and do some of the legwork and show, you know, early engagement with us is beneficial to you. Don't go down the route of going down through there and then suddenly, as we say, thrown over the fence, say, go ahead and mm. procure this for us. We've decided what we need. And then us finding procurement supply chain and finding, well, we could have helped you with that, the different supplier. We know that supplier. We, we know they can do it. Um, it's, it's building that trust of the different areas in the business and mm. getting them kind of bought into the fact that you're procurement. And I know it's an old view of procurement just being an admin uh, function. It's a whole lot more than that. There's so many different yeah. areas that we can help you with. Um, and early engagement is always key. And that's why I'm always told to the, can the people I work with, the teams I work with, bring us in early. Like as soon as you know, you have something, bring us in, don't leave us out in the cold. You know, it's, it's, it's really important. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about in, in, in SAS sales, right. All the time about, you know, not creating sales debt, making sure that we are not trying to fit a, you know, a, a square peg in a round hole ensuring that we're selling the product as is so that we're not, for example, you know, throwing shit over the fence to our engineering team either or to our product team in any way, shape, or form. The question, though, is is how do you make sure that there isn't a fence to begin with? Do you have any tactics to share of ways that you've built trust and, and won trust with other stakeholders of the team? 
I think it's whenever I've been in, whenever I started a new role, the, the, fir- the main, my main first 30 days relationship building, mm-hmm. go out and meet all the main teams, be involved in their stand-up meetings during the week, mm-hmm. be involved in some of their regular meetings, be that presence that they, they know that, oh, Alex is there. I know I have a requirement. I can go to him. I know he's going to take it. He's going to run with it rather than not really getting involved. And so they carry on with their usual way of working and then kind of get to that point where like, ah, we should have involved supply chain. Mm. So yeah, my main way of doing it has always been relationship. Just get Mm. in there, understand the people, meet the main people, meet all the divisions. It'd be a big company. It's a startup. Go ahead and meet some of the, the, the senior level people and get them to know that you are here. You bring with you a... 10, 20, 30 years of experience in procurement and supply chain, you know what you're talking about. There are benefits for them involving you. Hmm. Well said. Let's shift gear to another relationship, those external, right? Um, Procurement are, you know, the main owners of external partnerships. When building up a procurement sourcing supply chain function, uh, you also need to build a a supplier base, right? when you've walked into situations where there's a lot of greenfield and con- you know, it, contrasting to your experience at Boeing, for example, right? Where does one yeah. start to build up a new supplier base? That's a, a very good question. Circumstance-based, I think. It's, um, it's one of the things, coming into some of these companies, I obviously brought a lot of backgrounds, kind of knowing which suppliers do a lot of um, which work. Um, in some cases, there would be already a lot of contracts in place for facilities, so I wouldn't really need to be involved in any of that. Um, and it's based on requirements as well. So it's right. a more of a kind of a personal, I know which suppliers I like, I like to have. Um, but then it's going out and sourcing some local suppliers that obviously Google, as I would say to my team, Google is your friend in some of these cases. Mm-hmm. If you don't know a supplier for it, Google it. Do some mm-hmm. due diligence, do some investigation. Don't just use the ones you you always used. There may be suppliers out there that are up and coming, that are growing, that could be could be included in this. Um, I I always like to do a bit of research before I even start to kind of dive into any kind of supplier selection, be that Dun & Bradstreet, open source right. um, kind of information, company's house, trade shows, all online. There's so much information online. Mm that you can find out on any kind of requirement you could think of. It's always a good starting point. So, so good discovery, of course, and making sure that you're, you're doing that initial know your supplier yeah. kind of due diligence, financial check and alike. I think that that's important for sure. It's something that we, we would urge businesses to do as well, if not in our platform somewhere else. I'm always curious, <laughs> and you just made me think of the question. How many how many suppliers should a procurement professional have in their back pocket? How many how many suppliers preferred do you have in your back pocket, Alex? Um, it's a I would say for sure. I think I'm coming from the aerospace uh, sure kind of sure sure industry. There's quite there's a, a selection of suppliers you know that would do aerostructures, that would do avionics, that would do engines or landing gears. There's only landing gears for example in europe five or six companies so you would know them um stepping outside of that and i would go away and need to do some some research and stuff on suppliers but yeah my i have a i have a picture in my head of like for some and this is really sad i can remember all the part numbers i've ever bought 
and which suppliers <laughs> they are. So if someone was to say, I need a flight control box, I could tell you the suppliers and the part numbers for those. So it's so, a... Uh, <laughs> so so, so the, 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 the trick to being a, an expert in procurement is having a good memory maybe as well. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think it's... I think, and I, I, I tend to agree because in your head, you would remember the, that kind of, if someone said, right, I'm, I'm going to use this supplier. Mm. If you've been there and, you, and you've experienced them before, you bring your experience to that supplier and you could be, well, actually, I've had some issues with them. I know they're going through some issues or they're downsizing. Are they going to be able to meet the requirements? So I think mm. everyone comes with a, a certain view, potentially, on, on suppliers. And it's that collective group kind of mentality where you can be able to form a picture and then base some of your decisions off of that or do we need to go away and do some more research or do we need to pay them a visit, understand what the issues are before we engage with them. Mm. It's a great, great point. And I think it, it shifts nicely into, into an, uh, an item that I want to talk about, which is development and performance, right? Mm-hmm. When a supplier is not delivering up to par or expectations, maybe even a SLA, surrounding, I don't know, delivery, hopefully not quality issues, but they might be coming mm-hmm. up. How does one work to develop suppliers actively? Well, my and part of the part of the way that especially working in previous companies, <clears throat> it's a very old school way of doing things. You have your your weekly meetings um, with them, drumbeat meetings, monthly meeting, you present your their KPIs. Um, the supplier would have access to exactly the same system. They'd be able to see the same data. You sit down and have your meetings, and you'll be able to see a drop-off in a performance level. Um, and I know at Boeing, it was done on a 12-month rolling average. So you'd have a, a 12-month rolling average for delivery and quality, and you'd be able to see patterns emerging. So it's when those mm. patterns were starting to emerge that you would then start to engage with the supplier and say, look, you know, you've been at this level of performance for the last six months, but we're starting to see a drop-off. You know, What's the issue? Is it manpower? Is it resources? Is there a supplier issues? Is your sub tiers? Let's start to talk about some of these issues. And we've had a relationship with you for 20 years. You know, and we expect some kind of honesty. Um, same similar for quality as well. You start to see if things won't be delivered on time, or you suddenly start to see an uptick in rejection rates or uh, quarantine parts. You then start to have that kind of interaction with the supplier will say, well, okay, let's just have a little, let's break it down now, what are the issues, how can we solve these together? And being at Bowen and Leonardo, you've, and this was amazing, you could lean on a team of hundreds of quality engineers or engineers, sure. and you, you'd all get together to solve to solve those problems. So it's a, um, it's just, re, it's a kind of knowing what, at what level to step in, I think, and well, say, we need to have a conversation. Yeah, and I mean, it begs the question, though, how do you how do you harness development if you don't have those resources in abundance? That's so if I can give a example. So we yeah, please. In, a, in, a pre- in a previous role, we had a we had one IT supplier that were there. Mm. The IT supplier had to had to reach a certain level of quality requirements. We had a, a traditional supply quality requirement document. Um, we wanted to bring in some new suppliers to kind of com- be able to compete those the, that information. Um, so it's working through those quality requirements with suppliers that previously haven't been in that space and working through to them to say, well, you know, we, we need you to be able to do this for our contract mm-hmm. to meet that requirement. And they're like, well, okay, yeah, we can do it. Yeah, we would need to put certain steps in, but we would like to meet you that. And it's working with them to say, well, if you do that and you develop that for us, 
it opens up a whole new business area for you because you now have that requirement. You can go out to other supply, other customers and say, look, I have this, I can fulfill this requirement now. I can do business with you. So it's working with those little ones as well. Um, and especially when it comes to delivery for some suppliers, previous roles, there's only one of you in the role. You can go into that supplier. You have a little bit of knowledge on how to do certain kind of things. Do right. they need extra resource? Do they need extra time? Do we have that extra time to be able to allow them to deliver uh, and kind of iron out the issues they have with manufacturing or delivering hardware? It's just little, it's kind of little tiny little things that you can do to slowly incrementally build them up rather than go in with this big development plan that you kind of mm. say, we're going to do this, 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 or this, and you don't have the resources. The supplier doesn't have the resources. So yeah, from a startup, it's, it's small things to allow them to get to a certain level. Um, and when you kind of explain it, that they have all these different business opportunities that could be open to them, a lot of them are very keen to kind of get on board with that. Mm. Great insights. What are some of the supplier management tactics that you believe are dead Something of yesteryear. <laughs> um, the traditional route of going into an office and banging on the door and demanding to see your parts or <laughs> shouting and screaming. I've seen. You've never done uh, that, Alex. I've never done that. No, it's, no. I've seen no. I've seen it happen. I've seen yeah. it happen. I've been in meetings where that has happened. Mm. Um, that is something from yesteryear. I would never, would never expect to see that in today's. I think mm. if especially in this age, if everyone has access to the same data, the same, everyone's very transparent about performance communications. I don't think it ever has to reach that point. It's regular yeah. communication, being honest, transparent, the information that you have uh, and have early conversations. Don't wait until an issue has been six months and then decide to have a conversation. Early engagement internally and externally, I think is key. That's a great point. And maybe that's a that's one of the parts to the, the the next question I have. But what are maybe some of the supplier management tactics that aren't going anywhere? And you're not allowed to say early engagement then in that case. <laughs> Excuse me, that aren't going anywhere. Well, uh, traditional phone calls, just picking up the phone, I think, is something that is a lot I don't see a lot of people do. I think a lot of people That's interesting. Um, Wait a second. Wait a second. Can we double click there? Why are people not picking up the phone? Email. I think it's mm. a lot of, a lot easier to send an email and then wait for a response. Whereas I am more of the fact of picking up a phone. Um, old school business card um, holder. Uh, pick up a phone. Ring the contact. They're going to be the ones that have the information. Don't wait a couple of days to chase an email. Mm. Just ring them up and have, a, have an old school conversation over a phone. Don't wait for a team's meeting to sit there in a calendar unaccepted or declined or something like that. Just pick up a phone, have a conversation. Mm. I think having those kind of impersonal one-to-one -one relationships and not just wait for a regular weekly meeting is, is something that may be missing from a lot of businesses. It goes back as well to the element related to trust and being able to develop together, right? Exactly. Being able to build that relationship is so important. And in a way, it is kind of delves tail into the idea of early engagement, right? Making sure that you're not just sitting around waiting, but in fact, exactly. you're taking the initiative. You are in fact engaging. Fantastic insights. We could ch chat all day. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the episode now. 
but it's not over yet, Mr. Evans. Uh. <laughs> now we want to get to know you more so than just a practitioner in the procurement sourcing and supply chain space. More so as who you maybe are, what you like to do. Quick fire round. It's something that we call our Kodiak moment. As you might remember, the Kodak camera had a slogan, the Kodak <laughs> moment, where they shared a moment in time. Now we're going to share a moment in time here, you and I. Quick fire round, one word or one sentence answers. You ready for it? Sure, go away. Fantastic. You have a vacation, all expenses paid. You're heading off tomorrow. You, maybe by yourself, maybe you and the fam. It's up to you. <laughs> Where are you going? New Zealand to see my brother. Oh, wow. Nice. Very nice. You're landing in New Zealand. Is there any particular delicacy or something to eat that you would grab? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, my brother says they do amazing roast lamb out there, so I think it will be that. Very nice. A particular podcast or book that you're listening to is on your nightstand right now? Uh, podcast uh, Sherlock and Co. Um, uh, or um, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, Leading by Alistair Campbell and Roy Stewart in the UK. That's very interesting as well. Book or is that a podcast? That's a podcast as well, yeah. Okay, Leading. Never heard of it. Nice. Thank you so much for today's episode. I think that uh, it's been a really insightful one. And uh, we look forward to seeing the great things that you're going to be doing at Elbit Systems UK as you've taken your long experience from various organizations. If people want to get in touch or learn more or just chat, where could they get in touch with you, Alex? Uh, just via LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on today's episode. Alex Thank Evans. you very much for the opportunity.